0: Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. We are continuing our study through the book of Philippians. Today we're in chapter 3. Now, if you are uh, online with us for the first time, welcome. Uh, I don't know how you're getting this, but you can search Faith on Hill on Spotify YouTube or Apple Podcast you'll find all of our online content there and you can hit subscribe and like and notification all those things. We have a live stream that goes at 10:30 a.m. on our website faithonhill.com and you can join us in person at our building on Hill Road and we gather together with Kids Church, worship through song, prayer and we study God's word together, the same Bible study that we're doing right now. We're doing live and in person on Sunday mornings. We have small groups that meet throughout the week, both online and in person. Now we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to talk about how the holiness of God is only about Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these things to you, and it is a safeguard to you. Let me say this, holiness, and remember the word holy means to be set apart, sacred, consecrated, separate. Holiness, living holy lives in front of God or for God or because of God, without joy, is fake. If living holy lives is a bummer, then we should ask ourselves, Why? Now that doesn't mean that we won't have hard or difficult moments or there won't be times where choosing to follow Jesus instead of following the things of this world or following the ways that we want to follow won't be difficult. No, only a fool would say it's never hard to reject sin and choose Jesus. But overall, in general, Holiness without joy is fake. Let me, let me say what I mean here. Now, I am technically a former smoker. Technically. Um, I, the summer after I graduated from high school, I was working a pretty stressful job. First time working a stressful job. And a lot of my coworkers coped, at least in part, uh, by smoking. And so, you know, I remember I'd been graduated from high school a week or two uh, stressed out after work and I bummed a smoke off a coworker and, you know, kind of went from there. And I noticed I was a little bit more, a little bit more. I started keeping a pack in my car. uh, Didn't, you know, didn't tell anybody. It was just kind of quiet, you know. And uh, after a while I I realized I was turning to it as a coping mechanism and I started to feel the, the nicotine craving. And so I stopped and it wasn't fun. I wanted to keep doing it. And every so often I smell something in the air and it's just that right scent. And I, I want to have a cigarette. And I haven't, has, you know, I haven't smoked in, in 20 years, right? Like it's been a long time, but I still, every so often I'll say, Ooh, that's tempting, but it's worth it, right? It's worth it for my health, for my longevity. Like you, there, if you are a smoker, there is no condemnation that I am trying to put on you. You know it's not good for you. We all know it's not good to smoke cigarettes, right? We all know about nicotine addiction. We all know about the carcinogens. No one needs to tell you that, right? So I'm not putting any condemnation on you. But what I'm saying is, it's better to not do those things. It brings some joy into your life. I remember going to the doctors once and they took my blood pressure and and did some of my vitals and they were looking at me like, how are you this good on your, all that stuff? And and it came down to, I don't smoke. I don't drink to excess. I don't do drugs. All these things came together to like benefiting my life. Now, sometimes it's really hard. Like I was like the briefest of smokers. So when I quit, it was annoying, but it wasn't hard or crazy hard. Now I have a friend who was smoking and you know, in his mid 20s, he realized it was not good for him. It was not healthy. He was seeing effects. He had been an athletic guy and he was seeing effects in his health. So he tried to quit and he failed and he tried to quit again and he failed and he kept trying to quit and kept trying to quit. And finally he got some prescriptions. His health insurance paid for a quit coach. He went through, and he would tell me about just how miserable it was quitting smoking. I've known people who have quit smoking. And they have told me, man, I, I quit like this hard drug or that addictive substance. And it was nothing compared to quit smoking, but it's worth it. People, people will talk about like, Hey, you know what? It is better. I'm enjoying my life more. I'm breathing, breathing freer. I'm enjoying food. These are things that are all worth it that come from making a healthy choice. There are times where, when we reject sin it is hard, it is difficult, and it's rejecting something that we want to do. Maybe it's comforting, maybe it's pleasurable, maybe it has some, uh, fulfills some need that we feel. But we know, we have come to realize in faith, we believe that following Jesus and rejecting sin is better. Just the same way that any logical person knows it's better to not be addicted to something than to be addicted to something. It's better to not do an unhealthy thing than, you know, or better to not do the unhealthy thing than to do the unhealthy thing. We understand that. So why is it that I say holiness without joy is a fake and that if living holy lives is a continual bummer, then we should ask why? And here's why I think that is. Because if, it, if it's because that I just want to sin, and let's be honest, sometimes we want to do things we shouldn't do. Or is it because a heavy burden is being placed on me? I can't help but notice, we talked about it last week, how often Paul talked about rejoicing, cheer, joy, and, and this, these ideas in the middle of talking about suffering, in the middle of talking about living lives that are dedicated to God. That's not the picture we think of when we think of living pious, holy lives, living lives that are devout in our faith and, and, and our following of Jesus. And yet, this seems to be this theme, chapter 2 into chapter 3, this theme of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to say these things, and it will safeguard you. How will it safeguard us? Well, one way is that we will know, is something really like something God wants me to do, or is it a burden placed upon me by somebody else that I was never meant to carry? If there's no joy. And some people's view or version of living holy lives, living lives that are serious about following God, is to come up with a list of difficult rules that place burdens on people, and then people live in those burdens and they are just full of misery and and unneeded suffering, when really God hasn't called them to do those things. Is it because I want to sin? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is difficult for me or for you or for us because living in this moment in a holy way is difficult. It's a challenge, you know, whatever it is. Some things are easy for me that might be hard for you. Something might be easy for you in your faith that might be incredibly difficult for me. It's worth it. But sometimes people put burdens on others that God never prescribed, and yet they put those burdens on other people. And to me, one of the litmus tests, one of the things that I can do is to evaluate, is this a human-made rule that God never meant for me, or is this something from God, is over the long haul, over a longer period of time, is my faith experience full of joy or is it full of misery is my faith experience full of rejoicing in the lord or is my faith experience one that is full of rules and condemnation and never feeling good enough those are all questions that are worth wrestling through struggling through figuring out in community with each other then paul goes on to write watch out For those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And you might think, oh yeah, I know who he's talking about. And in the Hebrew scripture, Genesis through Malachi, we've talked about this, like in the Starting Points podcast, the 20-Minute Bible study, we talked about it recently on Sunday mornings as we went through the life of the prophet Elijah, that In ancient pagan religion, the worship of their false gods involved mutilation of the flesh, self-harm. When the prophets of Baal were calling out to their idol, their false god, to answer them, it says that they danced and they yelled and they shouted, and then when no one responded, it says they started to cut themselves, self-harm. They started to mutilate their own flesh because they thought it would appease their God. Yet that's not who, that's not who Paul is talking about. Because he goes on in verse four. For it is we who are the circumcision. We serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. See, you think in our modern context, right? You would think that if Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, but watch out for those dogs and those evildoers and those who cause physical harm. Oh, he must be talking about Hollywood. He must be talking about New York. He must be talking about those secular forces that do promote evil, that do promote harm. And yet verse three clarifies. He's talking about religious People, what we might call the morally upstanding. You see, there were those who taught, and the book of Galatians in the New Testament is all about this. There were those who taught that to be a Christian, you didn't have to just believe in Jesus, but you had to keep the old covenant law. And it was interesting that the thing that they emphasized the most in terms of keeping the old covenant law was circumcision. Now, should Christians have male babies circumcised. I don't think there is a biblical mandate to. I think that there is, let's call it mixed uh, medical research on circumcision. Um, And so I place no recommendation one way or the other. There is no spiritual reason to do so today. Every Christian parent has to do their own research and decide in their own minds medically what they feel is right for their son. That being said, what Paul is saying is watch out for those religious people who are going to place undue burdens upon you. Watch out for those people who come off as very moral or upright or whatever, and they're putting burdens on people that no one can keep. Now, in our world, I mean, it's easy to talk about that how it was back then or in the abstract, but let's talk about it in our world. In terms of, let's call it religious Christianity. Not true Christians, not people who are believing in faith, but people who are trying to be moral or or achieve some kind of salvation through their good works, but they do so in what we might call a Christian format, church people. We see this all the time. And, and over the years and centuries, it, it has looked different depending on who you are and where you're at and all that. You're a Christian if you dress a certain way or don't dress a certain way. You're a Christian if you vote a certain way or don't vote a certain way. You're a Christian if you don't watch this or don't listen to that. You're, you're a Christian if you do this or that thing. You know, no actual Christian would ever do this thing that's not actually in the Bible. This happens all the time. And people place undue burdens on other people. (laughs) Things that God never called somebody to do. Things that that either they themselves aren't keeping, hypocrisy, or something that's easy for them to, to do without, but that they'll place that burden on somebody else. Or what if God called them to do something? There are times in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, where God told a person to do or not do a specific thing, and it was a unique thing to them. There was the prophet Jeremiah. God told him, do not get married. But that was unique to him. Other prophets, like Hosea... God told him specifically, get married to this person. Then there were prophets like Isaiah. We don't have any record of God saying who he should or shouldn't marry, but we know that he was married and had a family. What I'm saying is, let's say that God told somebody like a Jeremiah specifically, do not get married. And then Jeremiah went around telling everyone else, you shouldn't get married. That's what this looks like. That maybe there is something specific to one person, and then they try to scale it out to everyone else. You know, my dad, when I was growing up, did not, in general terms, listen to any non-Christian music. He only listened to Christian music. But there was a reason for that. For him, for him, when he became a Christian, my dad grew up in a religious home, a Christian home, but he would have said that he didn't know for sure. He, he knew for sure that he was a believer when he was in college. That, for him, was when faith became real. Music... The music of the 70s especially was so linked to his own sinful rebellion that he wanted nothing to do with it. So growing up, I never heard most of the popular songs of the era or the previous eras later on uh, we were allowed to listen to the oldies station on the radio as we were driving in the car and the oldies station tended to be stuff from the 50s and early 60s so we'd get some Elvis and some early Beatles and things like that so i was very aware of those guys but i you know other than that like nothing you know being a kid in like 1987 i had no idea who Huey Lewis in the News was. I had no idea who Bon Jovi was. I didn't know, you know, uh, Whitney Houston. I didn't, I, I think I'd heard the name Whitney Houston or something, but like I, I had no idea what their music was because that was something for my dad was such a big thing for him that he just didn't want it in our house. Now I'll tell you, I listen to a lot of music and for me, that music was never part of, of like a bad experience for me. Uh, I've, I've known people who, like, you know, they hear a certain song, and all it brings them back to is sin. Uh, they they did an acid trip. They they were sinning uh, sexually while listening to this song. Like, there are things that come back to them, and so they want no part of it, and I totally get it. Whereas, like, for me, I hear a certain song, and it's like, eh, it's on my, you know, workout mix or whatever. Uh, th- this just doesn't bother me. I, I knew a guy who, um, the music of Queen, was directly linked for him to some a time of de- depression and suicidal ideation. So, you know, because of how old he was then and everything that was going on. So he would just had nothing good to say about secular music and specifically the music of Queen, right? Again, for me, that's just like the music we played to hype ourselves up before a football game in high school. And, uh, and my kids, you know, we, we, I, I like... I like Queen, so like um, Colton just got my oldest son just got uh, you know access to Apple Music on his own, and there's I, I set a bunch of restrictions, but he can still discover music for himself. And so he he came up to me and he's like basically going back and listening to like Queen deep cuts. I'm not worried about that because, you know, for him, it's just, oh, it's just music. And he's like, have you heard this song? And have you heard this song? And he's really excited about discovering music for himself. I'm not going to put a burden on him or make him feel shamed or bad for just listening to a song, right? Because uh, he has no idea about any of the things about drugs or immorality that's linked to Queen. He just says, yeah, that's a good song. What I'm saying is this, You'd think, you start this verse, and he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for those evildoers, and you think, oh, I know who he's talking about. But here's the thing. Living a holy life and being submitted to Jesus, real, the real villains get exposed. It's not always the sinner, right? What was, that was Jesus' deal. The sinner came to Jesus for forgiveness. You know, and people like say, oh, Jesus would have eaten with the sinners. Yes, he did. And then he called them to repentance, and they responded. The people Jesus went after was often the religious person, the person who thought they were moral or upstanding. They were the people who had a hard time with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus challenged their concept of what living holy before God means. It's not about keeping a bunch of rules, but it's about submission to God, submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, submission to the work of God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when Jesus starts to expose that and we see that our false morality isn't working, we either accept it in faith or we push back because we can't accept or admit that our standards of holiness don't meet God's standards. Living holy lives is only about Jesus. So if If the joy of the Lord, like the Bible says, will be our strength, and I'm living a holy life without joy. It's fake. It's not real. There's something wrong. And if I think I can live in holiness by a certain moralistic standard set by human rules, Jesus is going to reveal the real villains. I have met people from all different points of view, all different walks of life who have very moral or religious ideas about what makes them good before God. And then we encounter Jesus and we find out that none of us are good enough. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and only the grace of God that comes through Jesus and his death and his resurrection is enough for us. We've tried being self-righteous and it failed. Paul ended this thought in verse four by saying, I have reason for confidence. And what does that mean? Well, he goes on to explain if someone thinks that they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, that is in this case, human achievement, something that I do in my own life, I, 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 no tattoos or I have a specific tattoo. I I do this thing. I wear my hair a certain way. I do these things to be holy. He says, if anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse five, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. The eighth day was the day for a Jewish uh, male to be circumcised. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning I was more Jewish than the rest of the Jewish people. And we could say maybe because I'm not Jewish, but maybe we would say I was more Christian than the rest of the church people. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. So what he's saying is in regards to like Christian living, I was a super Christian. As for zeal, I persecuted the church, meaning you want to know how serious I took being Jewish? These guys over here who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah and the only thing you had to do to be saved from from the coming judgment was faith in the Messiah and it had nothing to do with keeping the law, I persecuted them. And then he says, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. What he is saying is in terms of the old covenant law, I kept it. I tithed. I went to the temple as as prescribed. I observed the laws and the customs. I was not living in any way that would be perceived as immoral. He says, if anyone has reason to put confidence in their own achievements to achieve right standing before God, I would put myself out there. But, verse 7, whatever were gained to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them to be garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from some law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What is he saying? He's saying, look, if you want to live a life that is based on some human system of righteousness, look at how I lived before I became a Christian. I was living the best you could in a human system of righteousness. And it still wasn't enough. It still didn't work. And why would we think that it would work for us? Because you know what? I could come and say, I've got some credentials as a church kid. I grew up as a church person. I have some, some Christian credentials and it didn't work. Only Jesus saved me. I did this, I didn't do that. I was I was I lived this way and I didn't like people living that way. I did all of the things and yet I still found myself in deep need of forgiveness. But every so often, we're tempted to go back. Every so often, we are tempted to think that by some action or by some refusal of sinful action, then I can stand on my own and say, this will work for me. And it won't. It wasn't good enough for Paul. And he's saying, look, if you want a religious dude, I was that. If you want a moral person, I was that. And yet here I was finding myself to be terribly, woefully, incomplete, inadequate, in need, compared to the true holiness and righteousness and perfection of God. And as I got awakened to the reality of Jesus, God in human flesh, all of this other stuff that I did, keeping rules, observing the law, doing this, not doing that, he said that was all a waste of time. It was all garbage because I did it apart from Jesus. I thought I could do it on my own. I rejected Jesus, but holiness and salvation and true righteousness is only about Jesus. And then he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. He's not deceiving himself into thinking he's found some new law to keep or that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is to say this, verse 12, Jesus took hold of us. That is so important to know. Every religious system that I have ever looked at, every religious system that I have ever encountered or studied, Name one is about humanity's attempt to attain or achieve or to reach something. If I keep a bunch of rules, I will find the divine. If I deny myself enough, I will attain nirvana or utopia. I will experience enlightenment, a higher consciousness. I can purge myself of sin through discipline and denial. The Christian faith says this that while we were his enemies, God died to save sinners. The Christian faith says that we don't seek God, but God sought after you and me. Jesus took hold of us. That's been the big idea as the last several weeks as we've been talking about living lives that are righteous before God, living lives that are serious about following Jesus. It's been directly connected to this idea that Jesus grabbed hold of us and we should live in response. That, that Jesus died for us so that we should live lives that match that truth. Let me put it another way. If you're in the water and you're drowning and the water's coming over your head and somebody reaches out to grab a hold of you, the chances are that you will reach back. And you will take hold of that hand grabbing you, cling to it for literally dear life. Jesus took a hold of us. So that's why Paul says in verse 12 that I press on to take hold of that which for Jesus took hold of me. Because Jesus has grabbed on to us, we reach back and say, yes, I want that. I'm desperate for it. I need it. I don't want to put holiness and press that onto someone else. I want to take what I know to be true and live in response to it. I want to live in the reality of Jesus saving me and say, how could I do this thing because Jesus has set me free from it? You know, maybe the reason that living in holiness is a bummer is because we like our sin. And if somebody suggests, hey, have you considered this? And we lash out, we push back. We wall ourselves off. It's not because they're trying to bring condemnation to us, but maybe they're just suggesting something to us and we are lashing out in defense because we're not living lives worthy of what God has done for us. But maybe, maybe somebody is trying to put false stuff on us and we say, no, man, Jesus has done all the work. Now, here's the thing. No matter what we've done, With Jesus, the only movement is forward. In verse 13, he says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. You know what? You can't change the past. You can't change the past. What's done is done. Whatever sin we have done, we can't control anymore. All we can do is press forward and say, God, take me where you want me to go. That is the great joy of the Christian message. The great misery of human religion is that it can't change the past. Let's say that you lived a perfect life from this day forward. You never did anything wrong. Your life was as perfect as perfect can be. What would be done about every wrong, sinful, wicked, evil thing that you did the day before, the day before that, or the day before that? Meaning this... When they find somebody, and it's getting rarer and rarer as this, uh, this generation is dying out, but when they find somebody who committed war crimes, especially, you know, there's people that for years have hunted down, like people who were guards at, at concentration camps with the Nazis, right? And it doesn't matter if you're 91 years old and you have lived a peaceful life in Canada or in Seattle. I remember a few years ago they found a guy who had been like a, a Dachau guard and he was living in a suburb of Seattle and he'd been living a peaceful, quiet life, a model citizen for decades. And yet they arrested him and they extradited him to Germany for trial because he needed to answer for his. Genocide, his crimes, not not just against one person, but we term it crimes against humanity. All the good things he had done ever since did not account for the things that he had done in the past. Religion, morality, self-righteousness can never take care of the things in the past. That's what makes Christianity different. That's what makes Jesus different. Because Jesus is the one who has taken our sin upon himself himself. Our sins are forgiven, are washed away, are removed, and we press forward in the work that God is doing. And I can't control the past. I can't change the past. But Jesus can take care of my past, takes care of your past, and in faith we say, Jesus I believe in you, I believe in your work, I submit myself, I surrender myself to you, and I am gonna press forward to take hold of what you are offering me. That is the hand of salvation and friendship. You are inviting me into your kingdom, your family, and I want it. I can't control what I did in the past, but I can say yes to you now, because Jesus is the goal. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can't control yesterday. Can't change the past, but I know where God is leading me. We studied this as we studied the book of the Revelation last winter that Jesus is bringing and coming back, and he's bringing the renewal of all things, and he's bringing the healing of the nations, and we want that, and we want to be a part of it, and we want to be part of his kingdom and his family where there is joy and peace and freedom. Jesus is the goal. You know, as we talk about being serious in our faith, this is me speaking to Christians as we talk about living lives as Christians should, it's because Jesus is the goal. And we should rejoice and celebrate what Jesus has done and not put heavy burdens on ourselves or others that God has not asked. We shouldn't fall back into the trap of thinking that being really religious will fix things. Now, let me speak to unbelievers, people who aren't sure. People say, I don't know. I'm I'm considering Jesus. What you're saying sounds good, but I'm not sure. Let me tell you this. What we are talking about is not self-help. Now, some people need to go to rehab. Some people need... you know, treatment. You need you needs a quit coach and a, and a nicotine patch to help you know free you of of a bondage or an addiction. Some people need a change of scenery, right? You know, hey, I was I was really involved in this scene and that scene only brought me down. Bad relationships that led to other things that led to other things and it's only brought me down. And you need to get out of town. You need a change of scenery, right? But Jesus is the goal. We're not talking about I'm going to do these things and totally reboot, and then I'll be like a good person. Because you bring the old stuff with you. You say, hey, it's not working for me here. I'm going to move over there. But your same problem remains that you and I, we were sinful people, rebellious to God. So to the believer, we say rejoice in the Lord, grab hold of what Jesus is doing, and press forward with him. To the unbeliever, we say this offer is open to you. The free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is freedom, and salvation. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that sets us free. And that's available to you. It's not about rules. It's about life change. It's not about, oh, I do this so that I'm good. No, it's about the power of God working in my life so that I can have victory. And it's not my victory. It's the victory that Jesus has already won. If you have questions about that, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. You can show up here any Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. And we have small groups that meet throughout the week. You can email groups at faithonhill.com for more information. We'll see you next time as we gather together and continue our study in the Bible, specifically in the book of Philippians. Knowing that Jesus has already won the victory, we just have to take hold of what he is offering. God bless you. We'll see you next week.